Hey there, welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. I'm your host, Andy Sitto. We're on episode 48, holy smokes, almost to that landmark 50. How are you doing? I hope you're staying safe out there. I'm doing well and continuing to put out new music, despite the fact that live concerts are still pretty much kaput. On November 14th, I will release a Fleetwood Mac cover. It's a Sturgill Simpson meets Deep Purple mashup of Gold Dust Woman in the Chain. And no, this has nothing to do with capitalizing on that silly viral TikTok video. My band, modestly titled Andy Sido Band, has been playing this cover live for years, and it's always been a hit with the audience. I couldn't be happier with how it turned out, and it features MCRS alum Jenny Shawhan on vocals as well. Here's a short clip of what it sounds like. Once again, it'll be available on all streaming platforms November 14th. I am now on Patreon as both an artist and podcast host. Patreon is a great way to support your favorite creatives with a small monthly donation so that they can continue to do what they love and give their gift to the community. In exchange, artists offer exclusive perks to their patrons. I, for one, have fully produced songs out that are only available on Patreon. I'm also starting to put up explanations on my chord progressions, lyrics, and production style, offer big merchandise discounts, have exclusive intimate live streams, and all kinds of other fun stuff. I've got big plans for my Patreon page, so go check it out at patreon.com slash spelled S-Y-D-O-W. Last thing before I introduce today's guest. Big news for middle-class rock star, and it's actually directly involving today's guest. As of last week, MCRS has teamed up with Chris K's Colorado Playlist, a weekly radio show about everything Colorado music. The show gets aired 52 hours per week across 25 unique FM stations statewide. Every week, an eight-minute segment of this podcast will be aired on the Colorado Playlist. I am very excited about this. Chris has been a buddy and mentor of mine since I first started putting out music, and it's absolutely wonderful to be able to work with him on this. If you're unfamiliar with Chris K's Colorado Playlist, head over to coloradoplaylist.com for more info and show listings. All right, on to the show. I'm welcoming back 45-year Colorado radio vet Chris K, who has lots of interesting tidbits and statistics in the midst of this pandemic. If you'd like to hear our first conversation, it was way back on episode 7. Chris K, who goes by the name GOAT, has been a known radio personality in Colorado since 1977. That's right. This man lived through snail mail disco submissions. Oof. He grew up in Alaska, Pennsylvania, and Connecticut, and his father opened the first jazz club in Anchorage, Alaska in 1961. That's where Chris first became enamored with the entertainment industry. Throughout his childhood, he acted, played instruments, and DJed junior high parties in his friends' basements. In high school, he was a critically praised young stage director. This got him scholarship offers from Syracuse University and Carnegie Mellon. Despite the offers, Chris elected to join the Air Force in 1973. He was stationed at Lowry Air Force Base for eight weeks of tech training, and that's all it took for him to fall in love with the state of Colorado. After training, he was stationed permanently at the Minot Air Force Base in North Dakota, he returned to Colorado upon finishing his service to attend the Ron Bailey School of Broadcast. Goat has been on countless different stations since the 70s and has also worked as an MC and talent advisor for several festivals and events. He also produces his own festival every August in Tacono, Colorado called Carbon Valley Music and Spirits Festival. He now hosts his own show, which we just talked about, Chris K's Colorado Playlist, which is aired weekly on 25 unique FM frequencies around the state. It focuses on everything Colorado music. The Goatster and I had an information-filled conversation. I don't typically consider this podcast to be directed towards just musicians by any means. I think of these more as human interest pieces. But this episode in particular is jam-packed with great information for indie artists. First, we chatted about how the game has changed for artists in the COVID era and what to do going forward. We also talked about the importance of social media presence in directing potential fans to where you want them to go. 
We talked about what you're doing wrong in your pitch email. Chris K would know. And the big one, the reasons why non-com FM radio is still a major player for indie artists. This one blew my mind. Chris, of course, is heavily involved with FM radio and has some great things to say about this. Check it out right now. Middle Class Rockstar Podcast is brought to you by PQ Mastering. Patrick at PQ Mastering puts the finishing touches on this podcast. For any of your audio or restoration needs, go to www.pqmastering.com. Also, Narrator Music. For simple and affordable licensing for sync, visit narratorrf.com. Chris K, GOAT, what's happening? What's up, my friend? It's so good to see your smiling face on Zoom. We've chatted on the phone a whole bunch the last few months, but we haven't seen face-to-face yet. We have not. Did you grow some mutton chops? Is that what I see going on? Oh, dude, rocking the birds. And a, and a, a little mullet. mullet. You got some mullet action going? Dude, you're killing it. I find nobody, you know, nobody's going to see me for the next few months. Why not look like a crazy <laughs> motherfucker? That's badass, Andy. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> you know, you'd be rocking a denim jacket, one of those, you know, blue bandana things across your face. Give me a couple months when the leaves start falling. Some dingo boots. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Um, well, man, it's so good. To, it's so good to see your face. And uh, for those for those who don't know, uh, Chris K has been on the show before, way back episode seven, um, and we're we're in the late forties at this point. So it's been a while. Wow. Yeah. So very great to have you back. And part of the reason I invited you back on one, an excuse to chat some more with my good buddy. Number two. I was going back and listening through part of the episode and thought, you know what? This information is so great, and yet how much of it is outdated now in the last four months because because that's what happens in the industry. Sure, sure, uh, absolutely, yeah. So, you know, so it seemed like a good time to have you back. Why don't you start off just with uh, giving, us a, giving us a quick introduction of who you are and what you do around the scene? Well, for anybody who doesn't know me in Colorado at this point, I am um, – the founder of Rocky Mountain Music Network, LLC, under which I uh, produced the Colorado Playlist, which I just had to do a count, is now on 24 discrete FM frequencies, 58 hours of programming a week statewide. Very proud of that. I'm here waiting to hear back from one station who had added me, but I haven't heard what the schedule is, so that could potentially up me to... Mm, somewhere around 26 or 27 frequencies and another three hours a week of programming. So we're still working on developing it. Uh, it's been on there for 14, in the 14th season of the show. I just dropped episode 30 for the year. So that's been my main anchor. Uh, besides that, I've been working on um, municipal events mostly for the last uh, decade now, uh, producing um, the um, the music side of things for the Carbon Valley Music and Spirits Festival that you played at last year, I think, wasn't it? Twenty and uh, a year or two ago, and then um, uh, been working with Bohemian Nights uh, since the very beginning of that show. Been on that, uh, been on that event uh, as main as uh, the Mountain Avenue stage MC and some other um, responsibilities, as well as hosting the Thursday Night Live series in Fort Collins. Um, and then I'm just like everybody else in our scene. I'm a, um, I was until March a working musician, you know, playing about 35, 40, 45, uh, you know, dates a year here, just along uh, the Northern front range from Denver to, you know, Fort Collins basically. So, wow. and uh, a few years ago I founded uh, a nonprofit called Rocky mountain music relief. <laughs> Right, and you've got some pretty cool face masks for those. I do. Do I have one in my pocket? If not, I have one sitting right over here on my workstation. For the, for the YouTube, for the people watching on YouTube. Wait a minute. That's not it. Hang on. And for those of you listening on Apple Podcast, they look really cool. Really, really cool. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yep. Boom. I love that. I love that. It's, it's, a, it's a big red heart with mountains on top of it, white mountains, and then the mountains – as if they have ears, had headphones over them. If that doesn't say Colorado music, I don't know what does. And then it says hashtag CO music. Hashtag CO music. 
I love that. I love that. A random question that just came up when you're introducing yourself. Uh, when you say uh, 24 or 26 different discrete uh, frequencies, what do you mean by discrete? So the network is about a dozen stations right now. Each of those stations will have satellite frequencies in other parts of the state. So, for instance, 105.5, the Colorado Sound, which is based out of Greeley, um, has um, is also broadcast on a discrete frequency in Summit County under a different set of call letters mm -hmm. and a discrete frequency in Steamboat Springs. So each of these stations basically aren't operating out of a singular space. They, I mean, they are, but then they have translators and satellite frequencies as well as they broadcast over. So when I say discrete frequencies, there are, there's a list of, of markets like Leadville or Aspen or Glenwood Springs or Carbondale or Steamboat, wherever, uh, that you can hear the show, but it's actually being broadcast from a singular station and then it's being routed out to these uh, to separate frequencies in these other market areas. And those are all different discrete wavelengths. Discrete frequencies. So steam, if you're listening to me on 105.5, the Colorado Sound, for example, you would also be hearing me in Steamboat Springs at 80, 88.1, I think, or 89.1 in Steamboat Springs. And then whatever the frequency is in, uh, the frequency and call letters are in uh, Summit County. Gotcha. Okay. I learned something new. I knew I would. I learned something new today. <laughs> so basically, there are very few places in Colorado today where you would go that you would not be able to hear the show on at some day and some time. And yeah. some of these stations are airing the show multiple hours a week. Wow. So that's how we get to 58 hours of programming a week on 24 uh, uh, discrete, unique discrete frequencies in the state. Gotcha. So more than one opportunity to listen on a lot of these stations. Absolutely. Uh, some of these stations will air like two hours back to back and then they'll break up the show into two discrete hours and air them on another couple of days a week. Or they'll take the two hours and they'll air hour one on a Friday and hour two on a Wednesday instead of playing both hours back to back. And then right. most of the stations are playing both hours back to back, like 105.5 in Northern Colorado or 88.9 KRFC. Um, they both air the show uh, two days a week in its entirety. Right. Gotcha. Very good. Very good. Well, um, things have been weird the last few months, as, as you know. Um, and I want to kind of talk about what that means for artists a little bit. You're sort of a you're sort of a rite of passage for Colorado musicians. If you're an up and coming band or an up and coming artist, and you want to start getting on on local radio, you're somebody you're somebody who most everybody's going through um, at this point. And and yeah, I would say one oh two three indie one oh two three is uh, really the dominant player for some styles of music right now. Right. Um, in terms of like, I just published uh, this morning. In fact, I just published the top thirty spins for the month of July. Right. And uh, I, not off the top of off the top of my head, I can I can name two of those records that are in the top five for July simply because of one hundred two three. Right. Um, but from um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it, I probably I probably break and debut more new music by more artists in Colorado than um, than any other singular person who I'm aware of anyhow. Absolutely. When I, I know I got my very first Colorado plays um, through through Chris K's Colorado playlist and and that's usually where it starts out every time a new release comes out too. Um, and it's a cool spot because you can go there and listen to the new releases, what's hot right now. Um, you know, as well as maybe some stuff that's been around for a little bit, but, but bounces way back, back to the, the 60s. Yeah. 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 I'll go all the way back to the sixties and I'm really the last month or so I've really been enjoying, um, researching and sharing music recorded at Caribou Ranch or mixed at Caribou Ranch, telling the Caribou Ranch record story through uh, the classic albums, uh, classic Caribou Ranch uh, album collection that I've been uh, amassing for the last six weeks. And that's how you get away with playing uh 
Elton John. El- Elton John on a Colorado playlist. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No one's yeah, he, he, about that. He loved Caribou Ranch. He, he loved it up there. He he was up there, and Joe Walsh and Michael Jackson, right? Didn't everybody? Yep, Michael Jackson. Yeah, John Lennon used to walk around Netherland and not get recognized. He probably liked Netherland. I think he did. Joe Walsh recorded the very first album at uh, Caribou Ranch. Yeah. When uh, Bill Simzik owned uh, had a record label in Denver back in the late sixties. Wow. Of course, Bill Simzik went on to produce for the Eagles and uh, all of Joe Walsh's records in his career. And uh, Bill went to Gersio and said, "Hey, Nis, I need the studio." Gersio's like, "It's not done." And Bill's like, "I'll, I'll do, I'll deal with it. I'll deal with it." So he got uh, Joe Walsh and Joe Vitale and Kenny Passarelli, who still right. lives in Denver, yep. um, and has a great killer classic rock cover band, just amazing band. And I got Kenny Passarelli to form the Barnstorm trio for uh, for that record. That's so cool that Kenny's still around town. I was just on a session with him a few months back, right before all the COVID stuff hit. Uh, nice. It's cool. It's cool to get to see some of those guys still rolling around town. In yeah, a, no kidding. You know, so with with what's going on, if you're if you're an artist who's not already established. I know the games. The game has changed for established artists too, but in a different way. How has the game changed with COVID for less established artists? Which would be ninety nine point eight percent of all of us. All of us. All of us. Yeah. All of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think that one of the things that I saw this year that was surprising to me was um, a couple of records came out that broke out on streaming services and became hits. Um, Everybody Loves an Outlaw, Everyone Loves an Outlaw, which is this Bonnie and um, Taylor Sims release that has over 14 million plays. Still not released for Radio Airplay. Wow. Still not released for Radio Airplay. Um, So that was a big surprise. I'm not sure that that's COVID related. I think that's technology related. I think that there's been a conversation in some circles anyhow that um, at least at an international level, social media and, and streaming services have become the de facto first source for music. Right. So to get to your question, that seems to still be true. Uh, a lot of the stuff that I'm discovering, quote unquote, I'm actually discovering on streaming services. So an artist will actually send me a link to their Spotify page. And I'm going, well, I can't download or play it from Spotify. So you're going to need to send it to me. But what it does is it gives me an opportunity to preview it. Right. If it's something that I really want to go ahead and put in my hard drive collection at this point, because honestly, I'm backed up. I have way, 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 way more music than I can possibly um, really put out there and, and to share enough that it, you know, if you miss one of my shows in a week, you're likely never to hear a song from that episode ever again. Right. You know, so I've actually had to back off a little bit on the amount of music I break every week and start focusing a little bit more on the things that I've already broken that I really like and they really, I really want to share. Um, new artists today who are coming out with things really, honestly, unless you're working, unless you're actually out there building a following and you're being very aggressive about it, it's a vanity project. It's, it's a vanity project. And I hate to use it in that context, but I don't have another word for it. Um, you know, I go to, I mean, you know me. I mean, I'll, I spend most of my week on Facebook scouring and, and scraping and finding out, you know, who's this act, who's playing where, who's doing what, who's putting out a record. And I go look at spin counts at uh, Spotify or I go look at spin counts on YouTube and um, the numbers just aren't there. So it's, it's really at our level here in our region, it's really more of a thing where you have to be out there playing because you're going to play to a few hundred or a few thousand people. And then if you've got the gumption and you're younger 
and you're able to uh, uh, put some money in the bank and hit the road or spend a lot of money to market yourself in other areas. Um, it, it really, the, the rec record studios, the, not the studios, yeah, the studios, the recording studios um, are putting out a lot of music, but there's not a lot of traction. Well, I, th I think that's the tricky thing. And when you say out there working, um, right now, I mean, nobody's really out there touring right now. You know, a, f a few people are getting out and playing some shows. Right, no um, one's touring. And so what, what do you mean by out there working right now? Uh, are you referring to consistently putting out music, to, to building their brand online? Um, what, does that, what does that mean in this era? It, today, at least for this year, I think, yeah. Getting out there means you have to have an exceptionally strong social media presence, not just from an artist perspective, but from a personal perspective. Right. You have to be you have to be a social butterfly. You have to be connecting uh, via uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever mechanism is out there. You have to be building. Um, a way for people, you have to be building yourself and branding yourself in a way for people to find you when they don't know who you are. Right. So one of my common pieces of advice to a lot of um, my consulting clients is when you put something on YouTube, put a cover of something that nobody would suspect you to do and make sure you tag that the particular artists who have recorded that song in the past, because that average 40 year old person who goes onto YouTube and puts in a search thing is only searching for the things that are already in their mind. They can't search for something else. They can only search for what's already in their database. Right. So, they can't search Chris K as a musician because they don't know who Chris K as a musician is or my band goats. Right. First of all, if you plug in goats, G O A T Z exclamation point, that's not going to lead. That's not going to lead you to where I want you to go. Right. Right. So right. you, you have to build, you have to be out there in the sense that you have to put an exceptional amount of energy, both personal social capital and financial capital into branding and marketing yourself via the digital tools that we have available and take every single possible advantage of performing live in any way you can. I'm doing a driveway show with Float Like a Buffalo a week from today or a week from tomorrow in Brighton in my girlfriend's driveway. I love that. That's awesome. You know, um, we're doing a movie and concert night in Decono at the uh, end of August that's not being advertised or publicized because it's just for the community. Cool. And we're taking great strides to make sure that the people who are there are strictly from our communities. Yeah. Um, and so you have to take every single one of these opportunities. Um, you know, some wonderful friends of ours, Sandra Watts from Live at Jack's is doing an incredible series. Uh, she's got a Thursday night series. She's got a, a Friday night series happening at Dazzle. She just announced today on Facebook. She's got a, a Thursday night rooftop series starting in September. Um, you know, so she's doing great things. Uh, another buddy of mine, his name is not coming to my top of my mind right now. Um, but he's been doing, he's got 12, Oh, Chris, I think you muted yourself. All right. Are you still there? Yep. Yep. You muted yourself for a second or you got muted somehow. Yeah. It uh, looked like a call came in. So that was, okay. that was fine. You know, so you have to take, uh, like I was mentioning, another friend of mine, he's got a dozen open stages going uh, right yeah. now in the area. Um, so you have to take all of these opportunities. You have to continue to do the work to be recognized by crowds. The truth of the matter is only about one half of 1% of all of the musicians in the United States are ever going to be nationally recognized. Right. We have to understand that we can build something really cool for ourselves here, 
we can be our own thing and we can develop people like Nathaniel Rateliff. We can develop people like Kerry Morin, who's been in the scene since uh, as long as I've known him, the late eighties. Right. Um, you know, we can take care to nourish and develop our own scene here in our state. And every once in a while, we're going to have a, a band that breaks out and does something really cool at a national level, like a Flowbots with their one big hit. Right. You know, boom, you know, they, they get a big hit and now they're still, you know, reasonably relevant in our scene. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And then for, and then, and then, and then there's the rest of everybody else, but no, it's a good point. You make that and and you were saying young enough to go out and tour and put, put away some money. And I want to bring up Kerry Morin for a second because he's been on, on the show as well as his wife and manager and booking agent, uh, Celeste, they both, they both done episodes and, He's not terribly young anymore. I don't no. know exactly how old he is. He's yeah, in his fifties, and he, I feel like, in the last few years, has become nationally known, um, more more so than he was. I mean, he's been known, but he's sure. taken some big strides, sure. and I think that that's an interesting case because he's somebody who raised kids, did that whole thing, and he he spends nine months out of the year on the road with his wife and dog now that's what they do and so even though he's not uh 25 or 33 anymore he's spending so so much time on the road that's been his whole life he's found a formula where it works for him and look what's happened you see in success and duke and tammy shepherd out of salida the same thing they go by uh the name pint and a half uh they have you know they own they own a home in um somewhere in northern new mexico uh last chance or some off the wall place and then they've got a business in salida and then they have a sprinter and they basically crisscross everywhere as a duo same as carrie and celeste uh you know as a as a married couple they're out there working their game wherever they can and, and building at, at a regional level which is something i've told you for years you right. know go out and build a couple of different regions right um, if you can build a Northwest region and develop some revenue streams out of that region, that's fantastic. And then along the way, you wind up building maybe like you did a little bit of Montana, Canada, along with Washington, Oregon, Idaho. You know, you start building these regional bases and there's nothing wrong with being a, a, a regionally popular uh, artist. I, I don't see any... Uh, I don't see any re- I don't see any harm in that. I, I certainly see a tremendous amount of upside in being a regional artist. Well, yeah, if you're a locally known artist, being a regionally known artist sounds great. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> you know, I I think, you know, I I've been doing that for years going up and doing that same circuit um in the Pacific Northwest and up in Canada. And even that's tricky, you know, because it's gotten to a point where we're making revenue there, but a lot of it is because we know the owners and we know their kids' names and how old they are. Uh, oh, relationship building. Relationship building. But the numbers that we're seeing at the shows, if I'm being 100% honest, are, are still, well, uh, there was such and such happened last night. So there's not going to be a lot of people tonight. Or, well, there happened to be uh, a holiday, so it's going to be packed tonight. It's still very much based most of the time we have our people that'll come out and see us when we when we come through their town but our our audience we can't say well we built from 10 people to 50 to now 100 it's still at a point in most of these markets where we could go in after being there eight times and still have six people or have 75 or 100 people it sort of depends on the circumstance but that's everywhere that that's everywhere i don't care i don't care where you go that's everywhere you know, I, I have friends all over this country. I've got a, a friend of mine in Connecticut who I used to babysit for back in 1973. He's a professional musician in his 50s today. You know, um, we talk about what's going on in Connecticut every once in a while. And, and he says some of the very same things that our musicians here say. Uh, I've got a guy who I used to work with in radio who's now down in Florida. Um, you know, who kind of keeps an eye on the scene in, in his little neck of the woods. And he says the exact same thing. So I think this phenomena of playing to six or 16 or 50 or 60 people, I think for, again, 99.8% of us, I think that's the way it goes. I think it's, a, uh, it's an interesting point of view that a lot of bands, particularly um, 
in the genre in, in a genre that I particularly like and follow, which is you know kind of the jam band Americana world. Um, they get on the, this festival circuit, so all of a sudden they're saying that they're playing at um, oh, there's a big festival. I can't think of the name of it up in uh, Idaho every year. Um, you know, so that you go up and you play some of these festivals. And they say, well, we played this festival or that festival. Well. You got to look beneath it. You got to look down into it and drill down into those numbers. Where were you on? Where were you? Were you the first band up at noon and playing to 100 people? Or were you the direct support act opening for Green Sky Bluegrass and you played to 5,000 people? Or some of these other regional uh, smaller festivals. Um, there's a couple of them in Denver, one of which I emceed here a couple of years ago that does like um, an urban festival kind of thing. They set up in these off the wall parking lot places. There's a couple of thousand people there <coughs> with a couple of stages and you're maybe you're playing to a few hundred people, you know. So this idea that, you know, a lot of. And I appreciate it. It's been there forever since I can remember um, that you can break out nationally and all of a sudden you're playing to thousands of people, that's a misnomer. I know national touring bands that are still on the hamburger circuit. I, I know people yeah. who have coded records who are still working day jobs. I was just gonna say, I, I, I know some bands, you know, some peers that are on the festival circuit and uh, you know, in, in their given genre, the jam band scene as a great festival circuit um, and are playing the same you know, the same venues that I'm playing and drawing about the same numbers that I'm drawing. And it's, and it's just crazy to me because you'd think two plus two eventually is going to get you to four. Um, <laughs> it, you know, <laughs> but it, you know, that's what makes it so tricky and that's what makes it fun. And, uh, and also it pisses you off at the same time if you're an artist, right? I mean, I've been playing since 1969. Yeah. You know, I, I remember my dad, um, when I was a little kid, my dad owned a jazz club in Anchorage, Alaska, you know, like early, like right around early 60s. Wow. And, uh, you know, he used to complain all the time about, you know, people coming in, they weren't listening, you know. And uh, then in, uh, I was 14, you know, we're talking 69, I was in my first band. We, I think we had just played our first high school dance or something. And I said, Dad, I'm going to be in the music business the rest of my life. And my dad looked at me and said, learn how to wash dishes. <laughs> That's like dad. I took advice and I, I, I learned how to wash dishes and I learned how to run a restaurant. Then I discovered I could make more, more money selling things to people. <laughs> right. But it is. It's very, very true. We have this uh, expectation that we can, And some fans, it works for them. You know, some bands, you, you go out there and you can build from, you know, from four to eight to 16. I, I've seen this happen in my career. It's a lot. It's a much different world today. You know, um, I look at some of the young bands coming up in the scene today, and I, and I talk to some of the uh, young people that I've had the pleasure of teaching at CU in Denver in the Music Industry Studies Program. It's a world I don't recognize for the most part, you know. Uh, some of these hip-hop artists are jumping right into shows at places like the Fillmore. Or you get a new genre that comes along that all of a sudden breaks big like EDM, and now you've got bands like Big Gigantic and Sun Squabby and Pretty Light playing to millions of people, you know, or, you know, uh, Sun Squabby able to sell out the Fillmore in Denver. What's that, 2,500 cap room, you know? Right. But for the rest of us, oh, shit, we're lucky if we get to play to 50 people. You know, that's a thrill. If I played to more than 50 in a, in a small room, oh, my God, I, I want to know who paid them to show up. More than 50 who are listening. <laughs> okay, there might be three who are listening. <laughs> there's a, yeah, there's a caveat there. Um, yeah, no, it, it's it's interesting conversation, and there, there's certainly – isn't one formula for it and there certainly isn't something that's guaranteed to work um the things we've seen work for people are people who work hard and work hard for a long time yeah and, and uh it might happen when you're 24 and it might happen when you're 40 and it's been encouraging to me to see you know a few years ago see somebody like nathaniel rateliff who's been a big player in the local scene for 15 years but was not known nationally and then bang it was one song or uh in this recent thing that just happened 
uh, with Bonnie and the Clydes and their side project, uh, which was everybody loves an outlaw. Everyone loves an outlaw. Um, they, this project that they created just as a side thing, and they've got right. two and a half million monthly listeners on Spotify right now. Um, right. And they've been out. They've been out playing the hamburger circuit for years. For years, yeah. I I met Taylor before he and Bonnie got married. Yeah, I've known Taylor. I've known Taylor longer. Um, and Nathaniel, I remember when I first met Nathaniel, a friend of ours, uh, Jack Riddell, introduced me to uh, Nathaniel. We played um, a singer-songwriter in the round show one night at this place called Brendan's in downtown Denver. On Broadway. Uh, it was on, no, it was uh, downtown where Oscar Blues is now, where uh, the Black Buzzard is now. Oh, must it must be we a different spot or switch. Like, this is like, oh my God, this was easily 15 or 16 years ago, maybe 2003, 2004. Okay. It was quite a long time ago, and it was me, Nathaniel, Jack Riddell, and I don't remember who the fourth person on, on the bill was. Uh, and then he did, you know, he was in Born in the Flood, then he did The Wheel, then he got the Rounder Records label deal with the Folk Records, and then all of a sudden SOB comes out, and, you know, he's got a hit, and now this year he's got uh, Americana Music Award nominations. Right. And I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a Grammy nod for the new record. Which is very good, and it's cool that he went back sort of to his roots a little bit. I agree. I like the new record a lot. Very introspective record. Very cool sounding, good vibe. Unfortunately, uh, Richard Swift, his producer, passed away. So that was that was a drag. And so when you played this writer's round with him, what was, how good was he then? Better than anybody I'd had ever seen. Yeah. He was, uh, he, he was really good. frankly, very intimidating. Yeah. You know, um, I don't remember that night, you know, very, very, it was still somewhat foggy and, and vague in my mind, but what I remember most about it was a very gracious person. Um, we became uh, friendly with one another and, and maintained that relationship for many, many years. I'm still friends with several members of his band. Um, I haven't talked to him, I'll bet you it's been over five years now that I've actually had a chance to sit and talk with him. Um, but uh, he went through some crap. He um, he had some life experiences that have really um, informed his music at a very personal level. Yeah, and, uh, and and it shows. And it showed up then. It showed up then. He was an, an exceptional. Uh, I think we all knew then that we were dealing with somebody who just you know was just exceptional um, among us all. Yeah, he was somebody who was just different. Yeah, great great songwriter, an, an amazing songwriter. And I'm very happy for his success. Tremendous, tremendous success. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you're, something you were mentioning earlier, I wanted to go back to talking about discovering artists on FM radio or playing artists on FM radio, yeah. or finding them on Spotify. And I think, I mean, my friends are, you know, and we're finding them on Spotify, I'm finding stuff on Spotify. Um, well, I, I was noticing, and as you mentioned too, when you get on to to an FM station at the non-com level, mm -hmm. you might just get one play. Um, right. So it's hard for a listener who always listens to that station to find a new artist because they might only hear your song once and they might not even be in a position to process new music at that point. That's right. They're That's right. They're driving to the bank. They're dropping their kid off. Um, they need to hear that song seven or 12 or 20 times. That's you're right. Not, you're not getting that on a lot of these non-com stations. Right. Are they still terribly relevant to get on if, if yes. you're an indie artist? Yeah. And the reason for it is DJs like to tell stories. Good DJs. Trust me when I tell you, there's a lot of amateur, and I'm not using that word pejoratively, but there are a lot of... Um, hobbyist amateur uh, volunteer people working not working but um on the air at local community public radio stations right and everybody has a different skill set some of these people go on the air they're on for two hours they play their 24 26 songs they don't say a lot um and they move on 
I think one of the advantages of local community radio for us, we're going to keep it real right here with us, you, you and I and our friends and colleagues and peers, yeah. is that when you can get a DJ to tell your story, that story is in his or her mind. And that person is connected to their local community. Those people are connected to the people who put on the summer music events in their cities and towns. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes these local community volunteers are people who these municipal agencies seek out to let them know, because these people who work in city hall, even in my little city, if I went right now into City Hall in Dakota, which I've done in the past and said to my to my friends there, who are you listening to? Who do you like? Um, what, what will be funny about it is they'll tell me the artists that they liked from the late 80s. They won't even be able to tell me the name of a song or the name of a band. They'll just say, yeah, whatever's on the radio, that's what I like. You know, and this is true around the region. So... The importance of local FM community and public radio is the ability for those of us to tell your story. When I go on and produce my show, um, I'm going to tell your story. I'm going to tell the story about you. I've got a wonderful, oh, great story. There's a wonderful um, artist here in our area by the name of John March. I had never heard of this guy, ever, never heard of him. And all of a sudden, here a few weeks ago, somebody hipped me to him. I think it was Chris Daniels, our old friend Chris Daniels. And all of a sudden, I go over and I check out this record called A Tribute to Ted Thompson or whatever it is, and I'm embarrassed that I can't remember it off the top of my head, um, John March. But all of a sudden, I'm doing the research on him to tell his story, and the album is called For Once in My Life, A Tribute to Ted Green. So I, I go over to the website <clears throat> to write my 60 second, 30, 30, 45 second bit about him. And I find out that he's got JM media. This guy has produced 30 some 32 documentaries on Colorado musicians and people in the Colorado music industry over wow. the last four years. Wow. And I'm like, what? Who the hell is this guy? I've never heard of this guy. He sent me, he's got like three records out or something like that. He's a jazz guitarist. And I'm sitting there listening to this stuff going, this is absolutely amazing, amazing record. He's an audio producer, audio engineer, recording engineer. He's done stuff at a very, very high level. And here's this guy who, after me researching Colorado music for 20 years, I just discover him. And so I, the beauty of, again, going back to your question, is we are important because we are the storytellers. And I may only get a chance to tell your story once or twice a year. And that's with me producing 50 episodes a year. Maybe I get to tell your story a couple of times a year. But yeah. somebody somewhere is going to know me for what I do or know uh, Coach at KAFM or uh, the Harley Rider at KAFM, and they're going to reach out because they're interested in Colorado music. I had a station email me the other day and said, look, we want to develop our own in-house catalog of Colorado music. Would you help us so that we can pay more attention? Because we don't know who's from Colorado. We don't have a Chris K on staff. So we want to, would you help us develop our Colorado music library? Yeah. Wow! Now, all of a sudden, their DJs have a library that they can go to that says, these are Colorado, this is Colorado music. And if, the, and if, they're, if, if they're really into it, they'll say, okay, I'm only on there for two hours. I'm going to make sure I play one or two of these Colorado records in my show for a couple of hours. Yeah. So, yes, it's very important. It's in the connective tissues, the storytelling, the connection to the local municipal gigs, the local... You know, if you're in Salida or Buena Vista to the local venues down there or out in Grand Junction and Farita area, what's going on out there? Or if you're in Durango with, you know, my show being down there and KDUR and KSUT, you know, and the venues that are down there. So absolutely, it's a, a very, very, very local FM community, public radio. 
42, 42 years in radio this month. Wow. And I will tell you that local community, FM, community, public, and college radio is the bedrock of our communities. And it's the way we get most of our local information nowadays. Wow. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all in on local community, public, and college radio in our local communities. Even though, even though we're getting most of our, most people are getting most or all of their streams out of Spotify, this is still an important outlet because it can lead to one person hearing your story or that live show that you get through the community radio. It helps. It helps every, sure. I guess, every hand you shake. And, and, uh, and remember, too, that, you know, this new dynamic of streaming audio, um, that doesn't apply everywhere. That's a very urban phenomenon. That's a big city phenomena. That's a front range phenomena. You go up into the mountains in some of these communities, you don't have a good Wi-Fi reception. You certainly don't have 4G, and you most certainly are not on, on the leading edge of, of 5G technology. So unless you've downloaded, quote unquote, your Spotify playlist to your phone, right? Um, you know, or or what have you some of these stations to this day still don't download music they still rely on mostly physical and most of the people who are listening are over 50 years old to to fm to local community com community public radio most of the listeners are over 50 years old and certain over 45 certain 45 and tell us why that age group is important to target um Because I have found that a great many people over 45, over 50, not all, but I've found a significant percentage, a significant number that are still, who still appreciate hearing new music. They don't want things that scream at them. They want things that are relevant to what they've grown up listening to. Um, but they will certainly embrace, and frankly, stop and think about it if you go up and you play outside of maybe the outside of globe hall larimer lounge your mom's house whatever in denver you get up outside into some of these other communities the average age is not 20 something right the average age is 40 something right you know uh you're seeing a lot more people in their 40s and 50s and 60s out in a lot of cases than you are in their 20s yeah reality reality you know uh, if you're playing a restaurant gig somewhere you know people with disposable incomes um prior to covid um were people whose kids had already left home right you know the average working professional musician in the united states today is 44 years old they make it that far still doing the it average, yeah the average professional wow. working musician the average age is 44 years old and when you say when you say average age working musician, I guess when you say working musician, are we talking about people who are doing that for their main source of income? It could be their secondary source of income. I see. Secondary source of income, you're still a professional, you're still making money. You know, I made 15% uh, uh, of my gross revenue from performing. Right. You know, some some people I know making fifty thousand a year are making themselves an extra five thousand dollars a year outperforming. Yeah, that's a second source of income. That's ten percent of your gross that you're making as a as a side hustle. Sure, sure. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that same group is earning on average. That same group of, of professional musicians in the United States is earning less than twenty thousand dollars a year. Right. Right. So now how with, with what's going on right now, how do we reach these um, community radio stations and these non-com stations when, uh, you know, I know for me, I'm really good face to face. I'm really good talking to people. If I can go shake your hand, I, I, I not everybody likes me or you or anybody, but if I can go <laughs> shake your hand and talk to you face to face for 10 minutes, I got a really good chance, um, uh, you know, to get you in my I've always known that about you. Yeah. How do you, in this era where we can't go visit uh, these community radio stations, oh. and most of the people running these community or community radio stations 
a lot of them don't know how to use Zoom and don't have Spotify. It's uh, the demographic running the stations is a little different too than, uh, the, than the urban demographic. How do we reach them with our story now? I think you have to um, use the tools that are available. I think you have to use email. Um, I think you have to follow up. I think you have to have a good story to tell. I think that having, um, it's not about your music. It's not about the song. You know, there are 50,000 new titles a day going into cyberspace. You know, there's 50 million song titles on Spotify today. Um, a good song is a good song, don't get me wrong. Um, and a good record is a good record. Even if you don't have a good song, a good record might break a good might break a bad song, so to speak. Right. Um, but to your point, I think that you have to do a couple of things. I think you, first of all, if you have to identify who your potential target is, if you're playing metal, and there's a lot of really phenomenal metal in Colorado. Um, I just got hit to the latest from Havoc, who I've known about for over a decade, you know, a killer band. Not my cup of tea, one bit. But what you do is you go and you build a list of all of these community and public radio stations, or you find somebody who's got a list and, and has taken the time to build it. And you approach them one-to-one. -one and you say, you know, okay, you have a metal show on KDUR in Durango. We'll use them as an example. Or KCSU in Fort Collins. Or the Regis station, which is the oldest station of its type in the state at Regis University. Um, and you find out who the DJs are who are playing metal. And then you drill down into that and find out, okay, which of these DJs playing metal um, have played Cephalic Carnage? Well, if they played Cephalic Carnage, maybe they'll play Havoc. And you send them one-on-one. -on -one. You reach out via email, via whatever tools are available. And you tell them very briefly who what your story is, and you give them links where they can go check your stuff out. Um, and if you can, then you try to form a, uh, some kind of relationship with that with that person. And and if there if you can build a fan out of that person, then they're going to wind up maybe putting your song on their Spotify playlist, you know, or on their YouTube channel, you know. Right. And I think that's the only way it can be done. Um, you know, I struggle with this too. Um, you know, I, my goal with my Spotify account is 500 followers. I'm at a little over 200, you know, um, that's not a lot. You know, I have, I have a, a, almost 5,000 quote unquote friends on my personal Facebook page and only 600 people are actively following me. Right. You know, so branding and building a fan base, um, you know, that, that's very, it's, it's not, it's just not easy at all. It's one-on-one. -on -one. It, it, it's, if you can do a handshake, great. If not, two, three sentences. Boom, boom, boom. Real short. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is where you can find me. I'd love it if you check me out. Um, I can tell you that I check out every single email that comes in my box. You might get 10 seconds out of me. But I'm going to open that email, and I'm going to at least, if you send me eight, I'm going to open one, the first one. Somebody just did that recently. They sent me eight individual emails, and I'm just like, that was too much. I'm going to check out your first one. If I like what you got, I'll move on from there. There's a pro tip. Put your best link first. Oh, put if, your best. Shine your shoes, fool. Yeah, <laughs> shine your shoes, fool. Yeah, it's, uh, that, that's, I think that's a good pro tip. And I know not everybody in your position does open every email. And I think it's really cool that you make a point to do that. Um, if, if you're approached correctly, you'll get listened to, you'll get a shot. Yeah. I mean, I get emails all the time from people just simply asking me to give me, my, give them my honest opinion about a song or, or a record they put out that they're working on. I, I hate it when people ask me that. Do you give an honest opinion? I do. I do. <laughs> I think you know me well enough to know that I do. You've given me a few honest. I, a couple of times. I remember. I I remember when I came out with my second record. I did not like that record. No, no, and I was I don't know I was twenty two or something, and yeah. I bought my second record, and I was like, yeah, wait till Chris gets a hold of this. This is so much better than my first one. And you said, 
man, I think you've taken a step back. <laughs> I was crushed. <laughs> and we're still friends all these years later. We're still you know, and I've seen you grow and I've seen you I've seen your music grow. I've seen every every part of your business grow. I mean, yeah. it has been an absolute joy to uh, be your friend and um, and uh, and mentor in, in this journey. It's been a real wonderful experience for me. So. Well, I, I, I appreciate you so much. And it's been fun to to grow with you and and just your friendship in general has been awesome. I love that we, we chat on the phone. For a yeah. couple hours here and there, we meet up at Denny's. You know, it's uh, you're great. You're a great, wow. a great person to talk to, and a and a great mentor. So thank you. I thoroughly enjoy our relationship, but yeah, it is. It's very, very difficult now. Um, I really encourage. You know, there's some wonderful things happening in Denver. There's a new station in Denver called the Drop that is going to focus on our um, on uh, on hip hop and soul and um diversity um i'm very encouraged uh, that is a project that's been long in the works along um alongside kuvo in denver um you know if if you've never heard of the drop go online find them uh donate to their cause um i think they're going to be primarily an hd station um so that's something to look for as well as maybe their online presence goes um but i'm looking forward to seeing what they do uh, I grew up in an era where uh, I was a big fan of Dr. Daddio back in the early 70s. I almost went to work for him out of broadcasting school in the mid-70s in Denver. And so he was the voice of the black community in Denver for many, many, many years. One of the most wonderful radio people I've ever, ever known in my entire life. And mm. I've worked with some of the best. And um, so I'm very thrilled that the drop is uh, online and they've got new studios and that they're going to be representing in Denver. Um, I think that what um, 105.5 is doing, what KRFC in Fort Collins has been doing, um, you know, they are all in on Colorado music. Indy 102.3 is really, um, you know, really working diligently to, to that regard. I, we live in an amazing community. People don't realize it. Um, I talk to people all over the country and radio people and musicians and and people are flabbergasted at how much radio has supported we've got a um a friend of mine chris romero who i've known for 20 years um has a, a new record out that last night on big 97 nine country in northern colorado in the iheart uh call in something he just hit number three with a track wow. you wow. know i mean that's big, you know, and, and he's a kind of a mainstream hard rock country guy, you know, uh, you know, he used to be in a, a, a new metal band called sick and drug under when I met him and, wow. uh, back at the, back around 2000 and, uh, they played mile high and played big shows. And now he's got this record out. It's doing very well at, even at commercial country radio here locally. So whether it's KBPI KBPI has kind of gone by the wayside now, but KTCL with Alf, uh, Kiefer over at BCO is a big fan. He does a, a local music show on Sunday nights. Uh, Alf has been doing his for years and years. Uh, then you've got these other stations that uh, are on board and new stations coming around and new opportunities coming around for all of us in our scene. We've yeah. got something pretty magnificent. I've Listen, man, I have been at this for 40, 42 years in August, and I can't, I got to tell you, I have never been more excited and more thrilled to live um, in, in this area for the support that we've given, uh, given our artists uh, all across the board, all across the board. Is the music, has the music gotten better over the last 42 years as well? Sure. Yeah. Sure. It, not better. Let me, let me put that in different context. What was it I was saying? Uh, let's see. I go back to the 80s, and if I look at the 80s right now, I've got, say, 100 song titles in my 80s catalog, right? Right. Um, you know, in the 80s, you had um, who broke out in the 80s? The samples broke out in the 80s, you know? Right. Uh, you had Big Head Todd break out at the very end of the 80s out of Boulder. Um, you know, you had bands like The Fluid. Uh, that had gotten signed to Sub Pop right, right at the end of the 80s, right around 1990. In the 90s, all of a sudden, then you get the emergence of Big Ed Pod, the samples, Acoustic Junction, uh, 16 Horsepower, Zuba. You get these bands come through. 
after the turn of the century, there's an explosion. Uh, right around 2001 to 2003, all of a sudden, I'm seeing bands cross my stage at this venue that I was managing, and I'm sitting there going, my opener and my closer are as good as my headliner, and my headliner has got a development deal with Atlantic Records. Holy crap, that's amazing. So for the last 20 years, we've had this explosion of, of people paying attention to detail, paying right. attention to voice, paying attention to arranging, paying attention to the rec not only the recording quality, the actual capturing of the sound, but the mixing and the mastering and creating great sounding records. Right. And so when you start to add the voice to a well-written and arranged piece of music to a record that was recorded with great tone that was mixed with a depth of field that gives you a sense of space to a final polish and you put that record out there and all of a sudden it's like, wow, I've got more records this year that are mind blowing to me that I'm sitting here going, I'm not getting very many slouch records at this point. Right. They right. all stand up relatively well in one aspect or another. You know, uh, so yeah, we've got, yeah, I, it, it, I think it's been the growth of things. I, we just have that much more. Right. Remember, I remember a day when there was maybe 10 or 15 rooms. There's 600 places to play in our region. Yeah. People don't, people don't generally speaking, people don't realize how much music there is. We've got a nine, what was it I read? A $2 billion a year industry. Right. How many bands a year from Colorado headline Red Rocks? A dozen. A dozen. Yeah. Wow. That's I. I think that's I think that's a pretty large number. It is. You know, for if you consider how many days we can actually play at Red Rocks a year. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a dozen acts that every year play Red Rocks. Some of them more than one night. Right. Sure, we have. I mean, we have those mainstays of which now Nathaniel Rayliff is, or Gregory, Gregory Allen, or String Cheese. You know, sure. And and I would say those are twelve. That's a dozen bands that have headlined Red Rocks. I'm not counting your support acts that get on the rocks. I'm counting your headliners. You've right. Got a dozen Colorado headliners that are able to put enough seat, asses in seats at Red Rocks that AEG and Live Nation will look at that and go, Yeah, yeah, we'll throw some money at that show. And then you've got a band like Face Vocal Band who turns around, sells 9,000 seats at Red Rocks and breaks an all-time record for most CD units sold in a single show at Red Rocks. All on their own dime. Bought and paid for on their own dime. Wow. Yeah. Smart. They don't, you know, they did that themselves. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Absolutely did that themselves. That was a couple of years ago, a couple, two or three years ago now. Wow. <clears throat> well, you know, so, they, so we do, we have, you're not going to, I don't know, I'm a fanboy for Colorado. <laughs> I know, I know, you are, you bleed Colorado music. You know, uh, I, I am absolutely, uh, when I finally do get around to retiring, which I hope isn't for another hmm, eight years, I'd like to break 50 years in radio in Northern Colorado. I'd like to be able to say I started in 1978, 50 years ago. You're not going to retire. Someone's going to have to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> I remember uh, uh, somebody at Bohemian one year, years ago, uh, I was laughing about it. They were saying, Goat, when you get to that point, we're going to help you get up there on your walker. You know, so... You know, it, yeah, I, yeah, I, I bleed, I, I bleed, I bleed nothing but uh, Colorado. It is uh, what an amazing state, what an am amazing musical journey I've had. Um, boy, I could not be any more honored and privileged to uh, to uh, really be a major voice. Well, and we're lucky to have you. Uh, we're lucky to have you in the scene. Hang on. Yeah, you got Are you back. Yeah, I got you back. <laughs> we're lucky gotcha. to have you in the scene as well. Uh, and somebody like you who, who really does vouch uh, for the artist and you're an artist yourself, which helps. Um, 
I haven't touched my guitar in a few months. Yeah, yeah. It's you may not you may not uh, get to until uh, March twenty two. Yeah, tomorrow. 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 Get yeah, here. because my best friend um, for the last twenty some odd years is also my luthier, and he's had my primary acoustic guitar in his shop for about two months. And he just called me today and said, "What gauge strings do you want?" And I'm done. So I'm picking it up tomorrow morning, and we're going for a long ride. And then, of course, I'm going to have to play my guitar, and my fingers are going to be yelling at me because uh-huh. I have since January. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. I know, right? Well, thank you for taking the time uh, this time and every time, and thank you uh, and congrats to 42 years in Colorado music. Yep, this yeah, 42 years uh, in August, I got hired my first Colorado radio job. 1978. That's uh, that's got to be cool to look back on. It is very cool to look back on, and my current career status is thanks to guys like you. So, I appreciate you with all my heart, my friend. All right, we appreciate you as well. Thank you, my friend. I'll chat with you soon. All right, buddy. Bye. Bye. All right, there you have it. Always a pleasure chatting with Chris K. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Any questions, comments, concerns, hate mail, or death threats regarding the show, you can direct those to middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. Please consider checking out the Patreon page for this podcast, patreon.com slash Sido, spelled S-Y-D-O-W. If you enjoy the podcast, please don't hesitate to spend a few seconds giving us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and maybe even leaving a comment would be super helpful, too. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Where did she make you cry?